How do you do new things? How do you really become innovative? How do you go from zero to one? In this podcast, you will learn what it means to truly innovate. You will know how to create something that matters and lasts over time. Do you want to know what is the key to making that possible? We should begin then. Well, hello guys. Today's summary is of the book Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And well, let's get started on creating new things. Did you know that every moment in the business world occurs only one time? The next Bill Gates is not going to build an operating system. The next Larry Page will not create a search engine. The next Mark Zuckerberg will not create a social network. Do you get where I'm going? It's not going to happen again exactly as it did before. It's not going to be the same. So, if you're copying any of these guys or if you're attempting to copy someone, you're not really learning about that person. Of course, it is way easier to copy a model that works than making something new. It always is, I mean, more comfortable, better and faster. But knowing, I mean, doing what you want to do is not taking you from zero to one. It's taking you from one to another number. Let's call it one to N, N being any number, two, three, whatever. You are only like adding value to something that is already there. But when you create something new, you go from zero to one. That's the hardest stage. And this act of creation is singular, just as the moment of creation and its result is something fresh, maybe weird, maybe strange, but it's new. When you think of the future, you always expect a future of progress, right? This progress can like take two shapes, vertical or horizontal. Horizontal progress or extensive progress means copying things that are working, going from one to n. And horizontal progress is easier to imagine because you already know what it's gonna be, where you're headed and everything else. However, vertical progress or intensive progress means making new things, going from zero to one. Vertical progress is obviously more difficult because it requires you to do something that nobody else has done before. You don't know where it's gonna go, you don't know if it's gonna work out. It's, I mean, completely scary if you think about it. And well, a much easier way to look at this is the concept of like applying horizontal progress to globalization and vertical progress to technology. Well, if you think about it, when there is the, well, talking about the concept of globalization, it basically means that you're adapting something to other environments and other circumstances. However, when you create technology, you're innovating, you're creating something new, right? Because, for example, before, robots didn't exist, and now they do. You get where I'm going? 
in exchange globalization is like being like China, where they copy everything that's new and they copy and they copy and they copy, of course, in a way more efficient manner and all that you want. But it's still not something new. It's the same, but better, different, different color. I don't know. And well, most people think that the world is defined by globalization. And these days, I mean, everybody talks about being equals and that every country should have the same rules, that we should all have access to the same information and etc. And it looks like globalization is the main character of our story. But truth is, technology matters the most. However, when we think about technology, we think it's something that happens automatically. What I mean is that we think that the world is going to progress just because it is. It's something that is going to happen, yes or yes. A new technology has never actually been an automatic characteristic of history. Our parents and their parents and everyone else have lived in static societies of some zero where success means like taking something from others. For example, in very, very ancient times, it, it was trade, you know what I mean, or if they, or if a tribe had something, then you stole it from them and then you had something. But then new forms of riches were starting to grow and in the long term, you could see that taking away from someone was not going to be enough to save people. And well, after 10,000 years of unending um, progress and agriculture and studies, the modern world experimented repeatedly with technological progress. From the um, engine to the industrial revolution and everything. And as a result, a richer society was born out of this. So do you realize that we only started to progress about 300 years ago? And well, there are four things that you should know that are like four guides for like making this happen, making vertical progress. Number one, you have to make like incremental advances. The greatest visions like are inflated by a bubble and they should not be consented. Any person that tells you that you're capable of doing something great is suspicious. And anyone that wants to change the world should be more humble. Little steps and incremental progress is the only path to move forward. So, keep yourself lean and flexible. All companies must be adjusted which is code for, like, you must be adjusted because we're not planning for everything. You shouldn't know what you're gonna, what your business is gonna do. Planification is arrogant and inflexible. Instead, you should try new things. You should iterate and, like, take the um, entrepreneurial spirit as experimentation. Guide number three, you should improve by comparing yourself to the competition. Don't try to create a new market just like that, you know? 
The only way of knowing that you have a true business is starting with an existing client. And that is why you should build your company, first of all, improving recognizable products that are already offered by successful competitors. And lastly, guide number four, focus on your product. Don't focus on sales. If your product requires publicity or salesmen to sell it, it is not good enough. Technology is mainly about the development of products. Remember that. It is not about distribution. And well, these lessons have become dogmas in the world of startups. Those that ignore them are like avoiding technology and are avoiding like progress actually and however the opposite principles are like probably like more concrete and correct first of all it is better to take a risk than like a being trivial number two a plan is better than no plan three competitive markets destroy winnings And number four, sales are just as important as the product. That's what everybody thinks. And well, let's move over to an important question. What valuable company is nobody building? Well, did you know that this question is actually way harder to answer than it looks? Because your company could generate a lot more money without like being really valuable in itself. Creating value is not enough. You also need to capture value. This means that even big companies can be bad companies in a, in a sense. For example, in the USA, companies like in the um, aerial system, like flight companies, they deliver their services to millions of people and they generate hundreds of millions of dollars every year, right? But in 2012, the average airline ticket was projected at $178 and airlines only earned 37 cents for air ticket. Now, let's compare that to Google. Google creates less value, technically speaking. I mean, it doesn't take you anywhere, right? But it captures a lot more. Google actually managed to get $50,000 million. I mean, $50 million dollars in 2012, facing those $160 billion dollars of airlines, but it had a 21% earning of that income a hundred times more than the benefit that the airlines were getting that year do you get where i'm going a bad company but a good company google now makes so much money that it makes three times more than every airline combined now let's analyze this another way airlines compete With, with between each other and Google is practically a monopoly because it barely has competition and economists use these models to explain what happens perfect competition and monopolies let's move over to perfect competition businesses 
This is considered the ideal state of the world. It is like the best thing that can happen for an economist, okay? And the so-called perfect competition markets are achieving balance between offer and demand and they are satisfying the consumers. Every enterprise in a competitive market is like actually selling the same products but at different prices with little changes in characteristics and everything else. And as no company has control over the market, they all sell at a given price. And you can either earn money and or lose money, but think you're getting more people to buy your product. And you as a consumer think that is awesome, but as, an, as a businessman, you have to think that it is not very attractive. I mean, you have to compete with thousands of people and then maybe you're not even making so much money. If you think about it, the benefit that attracted you to that market in the first place, you're not making it. And something can happen. If too many companies enter a certain market, then you will all suffer losses and somebody will have to lose in the end game. And under perfect competition, in the long term, no company will actually obtain benefits, economical benefits. And well, what is the opposite of perfect competition? A monopoly. Meanwhile, these competitive enterprises have to sell at a market price. A monopoly is the owner of its market. This means that they can establish their own prices. I mean, they don't have competition. They can produce any quantity they want and have any benefit that they want. For an economist, all monopolies look the same because they eliminate rivals and they obtain a license and they are innovating to be on top. By monopoly, we refer to the type of company that, I, that is so, so good that it makes like every other company fail at what they do. Google is a good example of a company that went from zero to one. It didn't compete with other search engines and it potentially distanced itself from Microsoft and Yahoo. The problem is that many people, specifically Americans, like they mythify competition, they, they adore competition and they attribute competition to capitalism and being the best thing that happened in the whole world. But actually, competition and capitalism are opposites. Because you know, capitalism is about like the premise of the accumulation of capital. But under competition, all benefits are eliminated or they are reduced to the bare minimum. So you get it? It's not actually very capitalist of it. And the lesson for entrepreneurs is really very clear. If you desire to create and capture lasting value, you will not have to create a business of basic undifferentiated products. And you know what? The problem of competitive businesses goes beyond the lack of profits. And let's use the example of restaurants.
If you offer food with low margins for utilities, you are probably only paying your employees the minimum salary, right? Or something close to that. And then you will have to like squeeze all efficiency. That is why you can see that in some restaurants, especially small restaurants, the grandmother is working at the front, then the children are doing the dishes at the back. Yes or no, maybe you have seen that somewhere. And well, restaurants are not much better, even in the highest like branches or something like that where you have ooh, high reviews where everything is so expensive and things like that because for example let's take a french chef that had a three michelin stars bernard lucio he said if i lose a star i will kill myself he still maintained his Michelin rating, but he committed suicide anyway in 2003 because some restaurant guide like said that his restaurant was not real, was not that good, and then he had like I don't know depression or something or some panic attack or something and he just killed himself i mean it's really really harsh competition is really harsh and it is really harsh psychologically and i mean nobody should have to go through with that it's horrible and well in businesses money is everything if not it is something very, very important, right? Because I mean, you're not making a business to like not making to not make a profit. You're in the business because you want a profit. And monopolies can actually allow themselves to think of other things rather than only money and only staying afloat and surviving because they have the margin to do so. People that are in competition cannot think of anything else that's surviving. You get what I mean? And in perfect competition, a company is so centered in margins that they possibly cannot even plan for a long-term future. And only one thing can permit that a company like transcends this brutal daily struggle for survival. And it's the benefits of the monopoly. So, a monopoly is good for everybody in the interior, but what happens with everyone outside of the monopoly? I mean, like people that are buying the service, are they losing, are they being scammed? Well, do the earnings of a monopoly are obtained at the expense of society? Is that the question? And well, yes they are. Earnings are taken out of clients' wallets and monopolies deserve their bad reputation yes that's true but it is only true in a world where nothing ever changes but thank god the world that we're living in is dynamic it is possible to create new things and to make things that already exist better monopolies that are creative will think of providing a service that can be like can be dynamic and will allow customers to add new things, to create new categories, to create something good and lasting for the world. Monopolies that are not creative will only seek their own benefit and they will not be like engines that last through many years. 
Besides, think about it this way. If a monopoly exists, no government will let it go through earning too much money. Okay, they governments take advantage of everything and they will not let this like happen or something like that. So don't be too worried. They are not like getting the, the money and the millionaires and things like that. I mean, they are being really successful, more than normal people, but it's not something that you should worry about. Okay, now moving on to another part of the argument more than anything else. Competition is an ideology. The ideology that is impregnated and distortions our thoughts. We predicate competition, we internalize its necessity, and we promulgate its, <laughs> its commandments, and as a result, we are trapped within it. The more we compete, the less we obtain, but also the less we realize. Teachers, like they, they take away importance of this topic. They encourage competition. Everybody encourages competition. And for example, like businessmen, MBA students and everything else, they carry around copies of the art of war and things like that. They use metaphors of war and like in daily normal language because everything it's a competition it's a battle everything else i mean it is not so like that in reality competition is more like a war and it doesn't have to be like that you don't have to suffer so greatly it is supposedly very necessary very valiant but in the end if you think about it it's very destructive And if you don't have a competition, you have a monopoly. And you know what? Monopolies can last over time better than a competitive business. The value of a company today is the sum of all its money that will generate in the future. Because something that you create has to last over time. If not, it's not really that valuable, right? The brand, the scale, the effects of the network and technology in some combination define a monopoly. And for them to work, you must choose your market really carefully and expand deliberately, not as something that happens unintentionally. And as you heard before, you have to make something completely new. You must go yes or yes from zero to one. With that done, you can create a niche in the market. Once you have that niche dominated, you can expand yourself gradually and also dominate other related areas. And you have to ask yourself, what company of value is nobody building that you can build? <laughs> and well, the answer, the correct answer is a secret. What secret? A secret is something that is important, that is unknown, that is hard, but factable. For most people, they act like if they had found a secret, but they haven't. You have to find a secret. You have to create it. And well, moving on again, let's move over to another subject. Humanity versus machines. Lately, it seems that software is everywhere. 
I mean, you have a software in your phones, in your computers, even in your cars, in your refrigerators, maybe in the lights of your house, platform, education platforms, everything, anything. It is basically eating up the world. We live immersed in in passive technology, if you think about it. And the big question that many people are asking is, will we ever be replaced by technology? And the people that mostly think about this and are scared by this is people that work in factories and offices. Because if you think about it, their jobs are the easiest to be like automized. And maybe they can be replaced by a software or a machinery. And this actually implies a great number of people. And let's look at this this way. There are two possibilities, being replaced and number two, being complemented. If we follow the path of globalization, meaning going from one to n, we will eventually be replaced. There is no denying that. But if we follow the path of technology, meaning going from zero to one, technology will be a complement, an ally for us. We will not extinguish. Think about it this way. Machinery doesn't create demand. And if there isn't a demand, why should anyone produce? You will not be replaced by a machine. Don't worry, if not, the world wouldn't exist. And also don't worry about the fact that artificial technology is not going to become superhuman or super intelligent yet. It is going to, like, it, it requires a lot of time to actually program that really well and for it to become, like, autonomous. So don't worry, you will not live an apocalypse uh, the Terminator style, okay? At least not for a couple hundred years. Or at least until you die. I don't know what's going to happen to your kids. <laughs> and well, that was it for today's summary. I hope you have a great week, guys. See you the next week.